Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more. Do you speak to boys and girls differently? You may think you're quite evolved. I know I used to think I was. I'm a feminist. I thought I treated my son exactly the same way as my daughter. That's until I listened to my language a bit more. I call him buddy and I would never call my daughter that. In fact, a few times when I have called her buddy or mate, she's pulled me up and said, mommy, I'm not a boy. So that's pretty indicative of the difference in language that I use with both of them. And I wonder what other words I use differently because of their sex that I'm not aware of. So what does this kind of gender bias mean when it comes to how we speak to our kids? Annabelle Lucan is an Associate Professor in Linguistics at Macquarie University. Hi, Annabelle. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Most parents will be conscious of how we speak to our kids. We avoid things that um, may have been said in the past to boys and girls. So, you know, don't cry like a baby to boys. Um, you know, telling girls they look pretty all the time. There's been a lot of conversation around that, and I think that's pretty obviously biased. How likely is it that we're still saying things, like my early example of saying buddy or mate to my son and not to my daughter, that are influenced by gender? Okay, well, let me ask you a question. What's the first thing you want to know when a baby's born? What's the first question that people ask? Whether right? it's a boy or girl. Is it how, yeah, right. Mm. So it's not how big it is, how, how much does it weigh, anything like that. So right from the start, and often, of course, before the baby's born, we seek to know the gender of the baby. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the modern ritual now of a gender reveal. Yes, of course. We've all seen, seen one. <laughs> seen one recently at a wedding. Right. Mm. So the child, often the child is born with parents already knowing and wanting to know what the gender is. Okay. So we bring gender to, into that child's life from, you know, typically before they're even born. Um, now there was a study in the seventies, um, of, parents uh, with newborn children. So the parents were interviewed in the first 24 hours after their baby was born. The babies, by all measures, you know, size, weight, their AGPAR scores and all that kind of thing. I think that's the right way to say it. AGPAR score. Oh, I have no you know, idea. You know what I mean? That little test health. they do? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay. Basically. So scores are all the same. So they interviewed parents and gave them a set of adjectives and asked them how they described their newborn. And the evidence showed that uh, if the baby was female, the parents were much more likely to describe her as delicate, finely featured, soft, uh, and a little bit more kind of fragile. Uh, If the baby was a boy, it was strong, it had firm features, it was more coordinated, this kind of thing. Now, okay, this is evidence from the 70s. There was a follow-up study about 20 years later, and there was a little bit of a shift um, over that 20-year period. Um, but you know, we know that our, that the world our kids are born into is highly gendered here in Australia, your gender matters in really profound ways. So, uh, a woman will retire on typically half the superannuation of a man. Uh, there's a gender pay gap at work. Your chance of being sexually harassed if a woman is much greater than that of a, of a man. So, the world is very gendered. As parents, we've been raised in a very gendered world. And, you know, in your intro, you were saying there are things that we're more conscious of. 
And that's true. There is more discussion about these issues thanks to the whole kind of rise of feminism. But language is big and complicated and there's so much going on in any interaction that most of it you can't pay attention to. So what does that mean? That kind of scares me because, um, as you mentioned, uh, the fact that we live in a gendered world has a great impact on the lives our children will lead. And I would suggest that most people, I know I have a boy and a girl, I want them to have equal opportunities as they grow. I don't want to contribute to their opportunities being changed because of their gender. What can we as parents do um, in terms of our language? So let me go back a step and talk about those subtle differences in language. Do they have an impact, the subtle ones, the one where I say buddy instead of and call her darling, for example? Okay, well, you can see that there's a gendered distinction there. Um, so you are reiterating this division based on gender by your use of what uh, grammatically we call evocative hope that's okay to bring a little bit of grammar into the discussion here. Um, now, uh, that's a kind of obvious thing that it's easier to, to sort of deconstruct and to do differently. But there's all kinds of other patterning that goes on. Um, and because the language you use is the language that's being used everywhere, you don't get to set all the terms of the meanings of things, right? So if I give you a phrase, I love doing this with my undergraduate students. So I say, okay, what does the, what does the phrase women's work mean? What does it invoke for you? Okay. Now, I, like you, I'm a feminist, right? And I want that to mean anything. But I know culturally the associations of that term women's work. Um, now, when we're parenting Little littlies at home, uh, then obviously the division of labour in our own households uh, sets them up to see the way that work at home is done. Uh, the latest figures from the Human Rights Commission suggest or say that women are still doing twice as much housework as men are doing. Okay, here in 2018, after how many? Sorry, I beg your pardon. Twenty nineteen, uh, but these were the figures for twenty eighteen. That's that's how I've made that mistake. Okay, so here we are. After how many decades of feminism, women still doing twice as much housework as men. So that means, in our average household, our little people are seeing a very gendered division of labour. Um, in my own household, I realised sometime last year that I was the only member of my family who never got to say, "What's for dinner." <laughs> okay. And, and if I said it, it was ironic, right? And that really started to bug me. I thought, I have to do something about that. So we now have a cooking roster. I'm still doing more cooking than anyone else, but the others are stepping up. And so I've opened up this new linguistic world for myself where I can come home and say, what's for dinner? We'll be back with Annabelle Lucan right after this. One of our favourite guests on Feed, Play, Love is the wonderful Maggie Dent. Maggie's running a series of events focused on helping parents better manage fear, worry and anxiety in children. The events will run in Sydney, Brisbane and Perth and we have a double pass to each event to give away. It's very exciting. In Calming Today's Anxious Kids, Maggie will be joined by two of her favourite parenting experts, 
They will not only explore why anxiety happens in the first place, they will reveal simple strategies to improve our children's ability to regulate themselves. To win a double pass giveaway to the first Sydney event on the 8th of June, simply head to babyology.com.au and click on win to enter. We'll be giving away the other double passes for the other cities soon, so stay subscribed. So essentially what you're saying is that you can't divorce language from action. If you can't divorce it from action and you can't divorce it from society and culture. So if I say something to you like um, words like CEO, uh, scientist, footballer, uh, do you have any gendered associations with those words? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Now, I've, I've set this little project for myself. Um, I'm really conscious of when I use the word female to pre-modify or as an adjective describing some kind of category, right? So um, male footballers can be footballers, uh, but female footballers are female footballers, right? Mm. So we're still contesting the gendered nature of these roles. Now, um, we can actually go and look not just, you know, we can think about how we use language, but we can look at big bodies of linguistic data, what we call corpora, okay? So if I go and look at um, news data, for instance, uh, and we now have billions and billions of words of news data that we can go and look at, okay? So the, the chance that you'll get female plus CEO is about 10 times more likely than that you'll get male CEO, Okay, so we are still treating female CEO as the marked option, and of course it is. We can, you know, we can look at that and see that in the figures. But even male and female scientist. Okay, so the female is the marked option. Now, and if, by marked option, you mean the one that's less used. The one you, yeah, the, well, oh, the sorry, one you have to, you know, you have to specify, right? Because science, right? Because scientist. Carries somehow a gender bias, right? Um, And you know, you can still hear people, or you know, people I know who should know better. You know, if I say, uh, you know, I took my son to the doctor. Oh, what did he say? Okay, so the assumption is the doctor is going to be a male. Um, So we've got to try and break those configurations down. And obviously, there are structural things that we have to do in our society to make sure all of those occupations are equally open to our to men and to women. But we have to think about the language that we use as well. Um, I would love one day to hear a sports report where they're telling me the results of the Australian cricket team and it's the women's team, right? Because if I hear the, this is the latest from the Australian cricket team, it's going to be the men's team. And then after that, I might hear about the women's team. Okay, so I think we've got to kind of bust some of that open. And as I say, I'm trying to monitor my own speech carefully in that way so that I signal something to my kids about these occupations not carrying the gender that they they still seem to carry. So is that something you see that parents can attempt to do? As you mentioned, language is very complex and layered, especially when you have small children. Um, I know, for example, I had stuff going on this morning, so I forgot to eat my breakfast, (laughs) you know, with my children trying to get them out the door. What What are the most simple things we can do at home 
to try and change the way we use gendered language. Yeah, no, it, it seems, you know, unfair to be asking par- parents of small children <laughs> to do one more thing, right? Yes. Because you're just so busy. But we know that the, the language that goes on um, in, you know, in the period between, you know, by about two and a half, the age of three, kids step into the adult form of the language. So they become independent users of language and they're very active in inquiring about how the world is organised and, you know, they ask you all kinds of questions. So they can't take things for granted. They will ask you about things and probe you about things. And so there is an opportunity at, at, at that time. Their minds are very, very malleable. And, you know, typically they're getting more, <clears throat> you know, intense input with it from their parents at that period of time. Uh, so I think it's really useful as a parent to think about the values that you hold, your own ideologies around gender, um, and, you know, project towards your children being teenage and beyond and kind of think through that because the language that we're already using with kids at that very young age is shaping their sense of the gendered roles. And, you know, we can see it in recordings of mother-child discourse with kids at this very young age that associations between what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl are already building up. We can also take time to think about what messages we might be giving them about sexuality and whether we project for our kids already the kind of heteronormative frame. That is, are we assuming that a male child will go on to have a female partner and a female child will go on to have a male partner? So, you know, are you gendered already in the way that you talk to your children about you know, marriage and partnership and so on. Um, So that is something that I have tried also myself to be very respectful of um, in my dealings with my children. Um, I think the construction of the female body is a really interesting area and it does start quite young. Um, And I've now got a girl who's uh, about to turn 13. She's at high school. So she's already getting messages about her body and what's appropriate and so-called inappropriate. Um, And so I'm having a lot of discussions with her about that. And for me, it's really important that my kids know that gender is a cultural construct. That is, it's something, you know, we, that we've got a whole lot of ideologies around that, around gender. They're very deep. They're very consequential. Um, now, you know, I want my kids to be able to be critical uh, without me, um, you know, maybe I've brainwashed them already on these topics, <laughs> but, you know, I want them to feel a sense of freedom about who they are. Um, you want them to be curious, right? I want them to be curious. I want them to be critical thinkers. Um, so my kids are both at a public school where they get a lot of freedom about what they wear. Now, they have to wear a uniform, but the school no longer has a boy versus girl uniform policy. So this is Newtown High School. So there's just a uniform and you have to wear the uniform 
but you can wear whatever you like that is regulation uniform. Now, compare that with um, a couple of my daughter's friends. They go to um, all-girls high schools where those girls are subjected to having the length of their skirt measured. Now, that just totally blows me away because the message that it sends to those girls is that they are responsible for men's behaviour, right? If your skirt is, quote, unquote, too short, you're asking for it. Now, we are such a long way from kind of overturning those kinds of messages. Um, And as I say, here we are, 2019, let me get the year right this time, (laughs) 2019, and we've got schools in Sydney who are reiterating this message that girls have to take responsibility for boys' behaviour. So there's just there's so many things that we can do as parents. Um, you know, I have to say, if I was a parent at that school, it, I would be. I'd You'd have be to up do there something. Talking. Yeah, yeah. You'd be yeah. talking to the yeah. BNC. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just to play the devil's advocate, because I know this happens in my relationship. I think it's it's quite. Um, I don't think it's uncommon in a relationship uh, for one parent to be very aware of these kinds of issues and wanting to um, be aware of their language and be careful about the language and then another parent to say, why do we have to worry about it? It's just words. How is this going to make any difference if we're careful about what we say? Mm. How would you respond to that kind of scenario? Because I'm sure a lot of people are in it. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, I'm lucky enough that my partner's also a linguist. <laughs> Maybe there's a I'd downside love to, to that. Your kids, your kids would be oh, fascinated yeah, to talk yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do have a lot of debates about language, you know, at the dinner table. Um, and so I'm, I'm never going to have to put up with my partner saying that's just words because he knows that words are the root to meaning and, you know, meaning is what shapes everything about our experience. But I, I do I do get what you're saying. Um, I think one of the other, part of my answer to this question is recognising that our generation of parents are bringing up kids in a world where it seems like there's experts on every corner, right? So if I walk into my local news agent, there will be five new parenting books, 10 different magazines I can subscribe to. Um, it's not that long ago I found a notice in one of my local cafes where I could go to a parenting masterclass. Okay? <laughs> I need that. Uh, right. <laughs> right. So this is a kind of interesting phenomenon of our era that parenting is treated as something that you have to be skilled at and that there are experts out there to give you expert advice about it. And personally, I have tried to resist all that. I think partly it's an ideology that I got from my mother who made me feel that parenting was, you know, it had to be an authentic journey and it was about my kids getting to know me and me getting to know my kids and so... You know, I think that's part of not kind of feeling bad about giving advice to other parents, I suppose. That's a preamble to that. But I think, you know, being able to have transparent conversations and recognising that a big part of the familial environment is the family culture, the family ideologies, the beliefs we have that 
are consequential for the whole way that society is organised. So if you give your son messages that there's only some kinds of occupations that men can do, and if you give your daughter the same messages, there's only some kinds of occupations that women can do, and if you're telling your son, you know, he's free to do whatever he likes, whereas your daughter, her behaviour is circumscribed in terms of what she should wear and where she should go and all that kind of stuff, well... You need to know what you're kind of participating uh, participating in in terms of the reproduction of the ideologies that, you know, continue to give us this very gendered society that we live in. So much to think about there, especially my use of the word buddy and mate. Um, Annabelle, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been a pleasure. That's Annabelle Lucan. She's an Associate Professor in Linguistics at Macquarie University. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. You can get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.